Picture this, a blank canvas beneath your feet, an untapped potential waiting to be unlocked. Basements are like hidden treasure troves, offering endless possibilities for expanding living space, creating personal sanctuaries, or designing the ultimate entertainment hub. In today's episode, we explore all the different journeys for transforming unfinished basements, from digging down or lifting your house to gain more head height, to expanding your crawl space into a fully livable area. We share expert tips and insight that will inspire you to reimagine your basement. Hello, homeowners. Thanks for tuning in to the Don't Live With It, Love It podcast. Recording from CRD Design Build right here in Seattle, Washington, and coming to you with over 40 years of experience in the remodeling industry. We discuss all things from design tips to helping you achieve your remodeling goals with a variety of experts in the field. Remember, when it comes to your home, don't live with it. Love it. Welcome back to the Don't Live With It, Love It podcast. Today, we're here to talk about basements, what you can do with them, and how you can make them more livable. And here to join us is Matt Scully and Andrew Phillips. Welcome back, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk to you guys about what I love to do. And Andrew hasn't been on an episode yet, so we'll go ahead and have you give a thorough intro. Hi, my name is Andrew Phillips. I've been an architectural designer for way too long. (laughs) Just have a lot of experience doing a lot of architectural design, mostly with residential these days, but did have quite a few years of commercial design experience. But yeah, basements are a lot of fun to design. And yeah, let's start our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, do you mind kind of defining what the typical Seattle basement looks like before we come in and remodel it? Yeah, typically they are very unfinished. Floor joists exposed, mechanical, electrical, plumbing systems exposed, wiring, sometimes dangling from what we call a ceiling. Very, very unfinished spaces and potentially with a lot of problem areas where you might have moisture coming in from walls, you might have limited ceiling heights, you might have very little light. Yeah, I've definitely heard a lot of various stories about the different basements like people's houses that sit on top of like water tables and they have moisture like literally coming from the foundation. Lots of flooding issues. I've definitely heard about that in my time of having these introductory calls. And then yeah, like the low ceiling height, like you mentioned, is a huge one too. So it's hard for people to imagine like turning their basement into a space that they actually want to be in. And oftentimes when I have those initial phone calls and they're talking about, you know, while we're growing out of our house and we want to expand and what's it going to look like to add a second story? And it's like, well, it's going to be a lot. (laughs) It's a huge, huge project. And sometimes like the most budget-friendly option for people is to make their basement a livable space. So I think that's the main reason why basement projects are so popular. So as far as finishing a basement goes, there's a few different options. You can dig down, you can lift the house up if you want more height or if you want to like take advantage of a view that you might have. Or maybe you have maybe a partially finished daylight basement. There's a bunch of different options. Matt, what do you see most often? If the house is older, like built in the early 1900s, usually you see brick foundation, brick chimneys with a partial crawl space. So a very small basement compared to the footprint of the house. And often, depending on your budget, you can create 
a full height dig down basement with maybe half of the footprint of your house. But if you can bump it up and go a little, do a little more, you can take advantage of the full footprint of your house and have a very large, comfortable living space that's dry and clean and doesn't smell like mildew. Yeah. Oh, that's a great point, Matt. I think it's, there's not always a lot of opportunity with these older Seattle homes to gain a good amount of square footage. But if you can dig out a or increase the volume of your existing basement, sometimes you can double the size of the house. Or if it's already a two-story house, you increase the footprint by a third. So really great opportunity. And it's really good for seismic reasons as well. A lot of people are worried about the big one coming in. Digging down and pouring a new foundation and bringing everything up to code with that in mind can really give you a good peace of mind, especially with a house that's 100 years old. That makes sense. And I was just also thinking about a few of the phone calls that I've had. A huge, I guess, like the first thought that comes to homeowners' minds is, well, just the stairs leading to the basement is terrible. And it feels like you're entering a cave. I've heard that sentence so many times. And oftentimes, also, the stairs aren't even up to code, too. So I can imagine it might be tricky to like space plan when it comes to a small Seattle home and the stairs are like really shallow and short and they feel a little sketchy. Like, where do you typically find space to put in stairs that are up to code that lead to a basement in a small home? A lot of times we just have to work with the existing footprint and just try and make sure that within the structure we have a small amount of space that we can improve them. We don't always have to increase stair width, but it really depends on case per case what the home looks like. But very often we can just rebuild that staircase, improve the rise and run of the stairs. And a lot of times that works for permit. Sometimes we do run into situations where we have to bring them up to full code, which does mean that we would have to improve the width, improve the rise and the run of the stairs. And then also, maintain headroom or provide headroom if there is no headroom. And headroom can be the most limiting factor. Uh, A lot of times there's the structure of the existing house is just doesn't allow you to do much. But we can reframe some things. We can move a few things around sometimes on the upper floor to improve the width. We don't want to really take apart a house too much when we're really focused on a on just the basement alone. But Sometimes that's required. So we'll, we would have to really take a, a very good look at it, do a very good study on what's existing and you know what we can fit in. The dig down often allows you to reduce the pitch of the stairs. So less steep stairs, deeper treads. And if you dig down, and especially if you dig out closer to the footprint, it allows you to do the, the stairs per code and, and just more comfortable. And usually that's the reason they're not comfortable stairs because the basement is so cramped and small. They just, they gave you access to get down to your boiler room or your furnace, but they weren't designed to go up and down with a glass of wine in your hand. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. (laughs) Going off what you said earlier, Matt, I think it's important to kind of realize a lot of the houses we're working in, especially the ones that are a hundred years old, were not up to code. Obviously, when they were built, like there was really no code, as we kind of found out from Dave in our episode all about codes and permits and all that. And so I think it's important for not only to make your basement livable, but also, like you said, to update your foundation, make it more 
structurally sound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, like you said, with the stairs, like maybe it is a little bit more of an investment to have to like redo your stairs, especially like Andrew said, if you have to like go onto your main floor and kind of maybe adjust that layout as well, but it will make it more comfortable and just make it safer overall. Right. And that's usually the main goal for any residents. You want it to be safe for your family. You want it to be functional. That's why people don't go up in their attic frequently because it's very hard and uncomfortable to get up in and out of your attic unless you're getting Christmas gifts or Christmas so that's, so that's where you hide your Christmas gifts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your kids aren't listening. Right? <laughs> well, I have a question. There might not be a good answer for this, but I'm curious to know as far as the process of like production goes when it comes to digging down and lifting, are there any like main, are there any key differences between the actual structural changes that happen when you dig down and pour a new foundation or, or when you like lift the house up? Are there any like huge differences or are they mostly the same process? They're the same process. They're the same process. If you, cause you still have to support the house with these large steel I-beams and those are supported by cribs, which are just blocks of wood look like railroad ties. And whether you lift the house or don't lift the house, that process is the same. So you either dig down or you lift the house or you do a little bit of both, depending. I think depending on your area, you do have a height limit on how high your peak of your house can be. So sometimes you do a little bit of both to achieve your your requested height. Who's deciding if it's like a dig down or a lift up? Is that production? Is it architecture? Is it a little bit of both? Is it budget limited? I'd say it's a little bit of all three. Yeah. So, I mean, it costs some differences in, in cost with digging down or, or lifting a home. I mean, there's definitely a monetary difference. But the real thing that we look at is how high is the house existing? Is it up a steep embankment already? Are you already going up a steep flight of stairs? If that's the case, you may not want to raise your house up out of the ground anymore. That's one factor that we look at. A lot of times we look at a house and maybe we can see that the foundation is completely failing. And maybe we know that at that point, it's just a good process to dig it out a little bit further and, and do more excavation to make it more sound. So we look at a lot of things and, and then obviously talking to production because production knows how we might be limited on a site or how many we might be limited as far as how much soil we can extract or what the earth looks like. There's a lot of factors that go into that decision. And then ultimately the homeowner, maybe the house is already set down into the ground so far and you don't have good light. So maybe at that point, it's a good idea to pull it up out of the ground a little bit higher. So we definitely put all, all these factors on the table and we, we think through all these things. It's mainly a big study of what each condition looks like and, and what looks the most feasible. Just out of pure curiosity, what are a few warning signs that you guys notice that a foundation is failing? Cracks. Cracks, <laughs> cracks, are, <laughs> cracks are the most obvious. A lot of these turn-of-the-century homes, they, the concrete was poured on site and they were literally pulling soil and aggregate from the lake, probably. <laughs> So, you know, we see a lot of foundations that have really large rock as opposed to concrete, which we know is sound. Those are indicators. Sometimes we see a lot of moisture coming into the walls. 
Sometimes those foundation walls are made out of rock or brick, and brick is not something that we like in a in an earthquake zone. Um, yeah, often with the brick, you see the mortar start to fail and chunks of mortar coming out. In the substrate that's holding up your house is a bad feeling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so definitely. If you're down there and you you can pick mortar out of the bricks or pick a brick out of the wall, then you just, you can, you can imagine what would happen <laughs> yeah. in an earthquake. Yeah. If you can take a whole brick out of the wall, you, <laughs> you need it, to do something. It often gets that bad because, you wow. know, that's a, it's a large project. So people usually live in the house until they can afford to move or sell it to someone else and let them absorb that problem. And a lot of people buy houses like that with the intention that they are going to do this big project and make it right. But when you don't, and you, you're not very experienced with it, and you just buy the house out of pure location, or maybe maybe it was inherited, then you have this issue and you have to make a call. Yeah, that's that's really crazy. How do you know if a house is like structurally sound enough to like lift it? I know you said you have to use like the steel beams, but is there like some houses that like just aren't structurally sound enough to lift? No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, yeah, no. if you couldn't lift the house, if it was that bad, it would be like a a, a bigger a, issue, a, cro- a crooked barn or something. Yeah. You know, like like, like you don't even want to lean against it. <laughs> like. Yeah, no the the steel I beams that we typically use they're they're straight, they're flat, and we basically insert them from the outside of the house, and then we do cribbing, which is like Matt said, it's just basically like railroad ties that are stacked. It's a very, very sound method of lifting a house. We're not like jerking the house around. We're, we're trying to keep it as level and straight as we can while we're, while we're doing that work. And we lift sometimes quarter inch by a quarter inch on each side of the house until it gets more and more level. So we can, we can take a look at a house that may have settling issues and we can actually correct a lot of those problems. So sometimes lifting a house actually makes a lot more sense, you know, when you're going through the process. Yeah. And there's different types of hydraulic equipment. Some can lift the house evenly all at once. And there's others that, like Andrew said, lift each corner a quarter at a time. And what's funny is everybody leading up to the actual lift, everyone usually gets excited. The designers get excited. Everybody's like, we're going to lift the house today. Come out. (laughs) And they come out and they last about 15 minutes and they're like, this isn't very exciting. <laughs> yeah, it you, just slowly goes up, and then they add more cribbing, and then it slowly goes up. The but last, it is kind of mind blowing. Like you're seeing no, a whole is. entire house be lifted up off of the ground, but yeah, just very slowly. The overall idea yeah. is amazing, mm-hmm. but it's like watching paint dry. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been out to one of the job sites where we're lifting a house, the one that you worked on, and. Matt and I actually filmed a little video about house lifting that you can find on our website. That's called, I think it's called Complete Guide to House Lifting. Yeah, I think there's like a blog that goes with it that's pretty in depth. If anybody's yes. interested in house lifting, wants to see a video of yeah. it. Matt's kind of a pro to it. He just was thrown on the spot. So he knows all about house lifting and it, it is wild. So I show up and it's all gated off because it's a danger zone. Yeah. <laughs> And the the yard is completely torn up because you have all this heavy machinery coming in and the house is just sitting on what looks like four stacks of Jenga blocks. And Matt's like, come on, come under here. I want to show you. And I'm like, I don't really want to go under there. Uh, it looks like it's all only going to take a swift breeze to knock that thing over. But that's not the case. 
right? Yeah, it's pretty cool how they get the steel beams in there. Often they'll have to cut a hole in the existing foundation and or even dig a trench in the in the yard if there's a hill because they're what they did on that one is they bolted together two 25-foot steel beams and we had four total. And then that's what the cribbing held up. But um, yeah, they slide it in. They basically bore a tunnel so that their bobcat can excavate material to dig down. So yeah, the yard is gone. There's like one tree that we put safety <laughs> yeah. material around and like, don't kill this tree. And everything else is a wrap. Yeah. And there was like one patch of grass that was like untouched in the front corner. <laughs> yeah, we were able to save a Japanese maple, which was nice. Oh, nice. It was really close to all the work. And we didn't know if the root system could take all the, the excitement, mm-hmm. but, but it did. So, Yeah, basements are definitely very large projects. I know in a house lift, like you can't live in your house, obviously, while it's being lifted. Nope. But if you're digging down, can like the homeowner still live there or is it recommended to move out? Usually not because you have to disconnect all the utilities and Mm -hmm. move them. So you have to move your gas meter. You have to disconnect your water main. So your sewer. So no. Yeah. You can't live there. It's basically just like a wooden tent at that point. Yeah. (laughs) And I know, um, Matt, you're on the home services team and you guys have finished some basements. So if you're just finishing a basement, not digging down, not lifting, then it's pretty easy for the homeowners to live at home. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Usually with those type projects, we do an internal perimeter drain, which takes the moisture away from the building or an external perimeter drain, which is similar to a footing drain. And it takes the rainwater and moisture away from the building. And then we dry and insulate and dry in the space. So, but yeah, you got to eliminate the the water and moisture from wicking through the concrete or brick or whatever it is before you remodel a basement or else there's, there's no point. It's, yeah, there's it's no just going to rot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it first starts smelling bad and then you'll start seeing the, the effects of the water because water always wins. So you can't force it. You just got to redirect it. I guess I'm curious with all the drainage and the vapor barriers and all of that stuff, is it still possible for certain basements to not be able to be waterproofed? Is it, does no, it depend on where no. you live or there's always a way? There's always a way. Okay. You know, it's just a, it's a budget thing at that point. Yeah. We get bids for the external perimeter drain where they dig down, they expose the foundation, they waterproof the foundation, they put in aggregate, they put in drainage, it's often a catch basin, and they direct the water either to the sewer or to the storm drains. And that is the best way because then water is not getting through the concrete at all. You're stopping it, you're redirecting it, but it's also the most expensive way. And so people often go with the internal perimeter drain where they trench, like they dig out a little like 12 inch wide by one foot deep trench around the perimeter of the interior of your basement and they put in a sub pump. So they take all the water that finds its way in and pump it out. So that's, that's a lot cheaper than the other way. A lot cheaper, but at that point, like the water's already coming in. It's still effective because yeah. the concrete, having water go through it, the concrete doesn't break down and just disintegrate. So as long as you can keep drying out the space by redirecting the water and it's not sitting saturated, it's a good fix. So it sounds like so far the biggest drawback to, I guess, a basement project, like whether it's digging down or lifting is just that you'll have to remain outside of the house for, I mean, outside of budget limits, you'll have to remain 
living outside of the house for the entire production period, which can be like what, four to five months, six to 12 months, six to 12 months yeah. for, for both options for a dig down or a lift up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cause I mean, the last one I looked at the schedule for, they, they built the schedule close to six months, but that it wasn't reality. So just being honest, six months would be a, a smaller project where you have no hiccups and everything went really smooth. But the reality is you should plan for those and plan for the 12 months. Yeah. I think it's important to like, like you said, be honest and be realistic. Like even if you plan out your schedule and you're like, oh, six months, no problems, but it's like remodeling, there's always going to be a problem. Right. Because if you're staying somewhere else, obviously you're going to add up in your budget. How much do I need to rent out this house while they do this work? And when that doubles, then you have some hard feelings. So being honest up front and, and just let them know, expect the unexpected. It's a remodel. And you're also dealing with the city. Inspectors can supersede code. They can come in and change the game mm-hmm. and delay the schedule. Like Because that's going to be a full building permit. Is that correct? Yes. Full review. Yeah. We should probably cover a couple codes too. I think that that would be super useful. So as far as making a basement space livable, like what kind of ceiling height requirement are we looking at? Six foot eight. Yeah, sure. The real key is that older structures, we are allowed to have a, a lower ceiling height. For newer, new construction, the limit or the, it's a seven foot ceiling height. So basically most of these houses are very old, so we can get away with a six foot eight. But let's think about six foot eight. You can put your hand up at six foot eight and touch the ceiling. So that's not always desirable, especially when you're investing a lot in, in your project. So that's one of the key areas where people are really looking at digging down. Also, it is a basement and certain things we're not going to be able to take out of the basement. So if you have a, a furnace or a heat pump or some other heating source that's uh, got a big duct system, we can clean it up. We can tuck it up into the ceiling sometimes, but other times we may need a large branch system that is hanging down from that ceiling height. And, and again, it kind of limits limits your your ceiling space, I guess, a little bit. So those are our, our key things that we're looking at with with some of these projects. That's a good point. People often go to a heat pump system when we do these kind of projects just for that reason. Because they're like, why would I go through all this when I have to duck under my vents or something? So they upgrade, they go to something that's more environmentally friendly, more energy efficient. And we recommend it because honestly, it makes our life easier designing the space. Heat ducts are always tricky to map out through floor joists and get the heat in every area of the house or the basement that you want it. And the heat pump system is ductless. So it's a lot easier to work with, easier to design. You have, and, and, and it's zoned. So every heat duct head has its own thermostat, its own remote. So you then have a zone system. You can have your basement heating up when it's summertime and your basement's cold. You can turn the heat on in your basement while the AC's on upstairs on your third floor. Whereas a normal forced air system, that would be really complicated. Yeah, it would be keeping the whole house kind of at the same temperature, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So six foot eight. And then I imagine like insulating and adding drywall takes a little bit away from that as well, right? Oh, yeah. And the floor finish as well. So if you're on a concrete slab, you may want carpet, you may want wood floor. So 
that all starts to encroach on what is your existing ceiling height, right? Or your existing distance between the concrete slab and the joists above. So, and the ceiling, yeah, typically we look at about a half inch for drywall. Sometimes we want better sound isolation, in which case we can do a metal resilient channel. This is uh, something that helps keep the noise down from the upper floors. So, but that all impacts the, the available ceiling height. And that's definitely something that people go for when they're turning their basement in ADU, right? Certainly for an ADU, yeah. If you were planning on having either two families living in a house or, or even just renting out the basement as an ADU, you would want sound control between the main floor of the house and the basement itself. And we can approach that in a couple of different ways with insulation and with the resilient channels, like I mentioned. And sometimes it's a combination of both. That's what really helps with sound isolation. And then also a lot of people just want a big entertainment space. And in which case you might want like a home theater or something Mm -hmm. of that nature. And maybe you have a child's room up above. So again, we, we look at like sound control. That's a big deal for a lot of these basements. And when you're doing it, thinking about doing an ADU or having a space that's optional, maybe sometimes you use it as an ADU and sometimes you don't, you should also think about the fire separation. Because in a typical house, you don't really need fire separation from the first floor to the second floor, but you need it in the ceiling of your garage if you have living space above it. So you should treat it the same. And taking all those, those things into consideration when you're figuring out your head height of your ceiling and how far do you have to dig down, you know, if you plan on not doing a dig down, but a basement remodel and you start adding all these things in, then you might end up at with a six, four ceiling, which then you can see that wouldn't be feasible. Yeah. Yeah. The home for a hobbit. (laughs) (laughs) That's where the building code comes in. (laughs) Hobbits are not allowed. (laughs) Yeah. I think just to remind our listeners, an ADU is going to be an attached dwelling unit. So that's going to have like its own little kitchen, a bathroom, a room. Are there other requirements for an ADU? I think the door separation, some sort of locking system to keep Mm -hmm. people, to limit the access. Mm -hmm. So they need to be able to get in and out from the exterior. Mm. But there's often a door that connects you to the rest of the house because that's a normal setup. And then having that with a norm, like a deadbolt or some sort of security to where you can feel safe with a stranger living below you. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And then, so what about adding like a bathroom to a basement? Is that hard or is that just more of an investment? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you're digging down to install underground plumbing, you're tying it into the sewer. And if your sewer main is not low enough, then Mm -hmm. you need a pump up system. So not impossible, but definitely can be a challenge. Yeah, it's it's almost always going to be a challenge. And and so most homes, the older houses have a fairly high sewer exit point from the main back basement. So you do have to take that that waste, keep it running, and then we have to put a lower drain line for a new bathroom and that has to be pumped upwards into the sewer stack. So it's we look at that a lot. It, we put them in all the time, and it's almost always a part of these basement jobs. The only time that we can sometimes get around that is if it's an existing basement, it already has drain lines, and they're pretty low into the soil. That's pretty rare sometimes in Seattle. Yeah, and then you you usually have to add a backflow valve mm-hmm. in that 
which always has to be accessible. So you have this six to eight inch round cap in the floor that you can't cover up, which that comes into design because your plumbing, depending on where you choose to put your bathroom, your plumbing is directional by gravity. So your backflow valve has to be in a certain spot depending on where your bathroom is. And often you don't want it in the middle of your entertainment space. But yeah. These are the rules you have to take into consideration during design. Yeah. Speaking of design, um, do you have any kind of tips or are there any requirements as far as like windows go to maybe make the basement have like some natural light in it? We love basements that have natural light. I mean, it's almost a requirement for us in design. Uh, nobody really wants a, a really dark basement. I mean, this is why we're doing all these basement remodels. We want light in the basements. So we definitely have a lot of considerations with that. Typically, windows on the north side don't get a lot of daylight. And so we really like to focus on, the, on certain cardinal directions just to get more light into the space. We like to dig out windows so that we can actually get more light in. And there's a requirement for egress anyway at all levels of the house. So we definitely need to have egress covered, especially when we have a new basement bedroom going in. So, but another thing to think about is when we have existing windows in an existing basement, say you have a, a basement window and the, the sill of that window is at five feet. If we are digging down, that sill is now going to get even higher. <laughs> so we may have to dig out a lot more than than you think of when you're you're really considering it. So we want to get light into the basement. We want to dig out those windows if we can. And we are required with egress to have sill heights at a certain level, especially for egress. So can you define what egress is too? Sure. Egress is it's a requirement for life safety. It's making sure that we have a window that somebody can get out of. Number one, if there's an emergency in the home, but it's also useful for a firefighter to get into the house. And that's where we get into the size requirement. So we need a certain width and a certain height. And then we need a sill level. The sill is the bottom of the window. And we basically have to have 44 inches for that egress requirement if, unless we put in a ladder. A lot of people don't want to have a permanently installed ladder, but we could do that doesn't look good. So we do definitely prefer to dig it out and make sure that it's it's done per code. It wasn't long ago that I actually learned about why windows have to be a certain size for egress. And someone was telling me, well, you know, they want the firefighter to be able to fit through the window with like the tank on their back. And I know it sounds so obvious, but I was like, oh my gosh, really? Like, wow, that's where they got that? It was I'm like, where else would they have gotten the numbers? Right. Well, we've covered a lot as far as basements goes lifting the house, dig downs, just finishing in a basement in general, as well as some codes. So just to wrap up today, we always want to ask a fun question. So I guess we're wondering what your guys' favorite Seattle area restaurant is. Well, there's a lot of them, that's for sure. But <laughs> my most recent one is ST Hooligans on Leary. Oh, what kind of food is it? It's Cajun. And I think the owner, the chef is like Filipino. So I was surprised he came out we got there, we ordered a bunch of, a little bit of everything. And I think he was like, who is that? Like, <laughs> is this some kind of magazine restaurant review? Person? So he came out and chatted with us for a while and stuff. So oh, he's really awesome. cool. Wow. They do, and they have 
really good drinks. They they like ferment their own drink mixes to make different specialty drinks. And yeah, it's a really nice place. That sounds wow. so good. I know. For <laughs> you, Andrew. I like a, a small family-owned Mexican restaurant named De La Santa. It's over towards the Mount Lake area. Really great food and just a great environment. So awesome! We're gonna have so many restaurants to try. I know. <laughs> Wrapping up today's episode. If you have a project you'd like to discover, you can reach out to us on our website at crddesignbuild.com forward slash contact. You can also find us on most social platforms like Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, House, and Twitter, all at CRD Design Build.